is 9.60. We have a 25-year-old male who's been stabbed in the right side of a chest with an approximate 10-centimetre knife. He has decreased breast sounds, GCS of 15. His OBS are blood pressure of 80 systolic, respiratory rate of 24, pulse of 120, temperature of 36.5, blood sugar of 4.3. He has received 500 of Hartman's, 7.5 of morphine, and will be there in approximately seven minutes. Welcome to the EDGL. Podcast legends, um, it's Benny here. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to my podcast. Um, I'm just about to hit 20,000 downloads, so I appreciate every single one of you who listens to an episode and who comments and gives me feedback. I'm really pumped. On this episode, we're talking about resuscitation, and I want to dedicate this episode to John Hines. Um, if you know anything about resuscitation, you would have heard of his name, John Hines, um, and he was uh, basically a Northern Irish doctor. Who was known for his, um, I guess, contributions to pre-hospital care. He was basically a motorcycle doctor. And he was um, one of the doctors that used to be at the Isle of Man race, which is basically a motorcycle race um, overseas where they ride really, really fast. Um, and he was providing medical treatment um, where there was a lot of fatalities. Um, he was tragically killed um, on the 3rd of July, 2015. Um, but one of his talks, which struck me, um, was when he talked about resuscitation. And a term that I think got used globally um, was hashtag resuswanker. Um, and I know it's a bit random starting a talk like this, um, but I feel that it's important to remember that sometimes when we're in resuscitations, it's so easy to be the person on the sideline giving advice um, or saying, why did they do that or why did they do this? Um, and I think it's really important that we are collegial, that we work together, and that we support each other in resuscitative methods for our patients. Um, and the reason why I wanted to sit down with Arun is I really feel that she isn't a resus wanker, that she's really good at communicating with the greater team, um, that she listens to everybody, and that she respects everybody. Um, so we're going to crack in this episode. Um, I hope you like it. Um, let's get into it. You. Um, awesome. Welcome to the ED Jam. Um, tonight, it's night time. Um, I'm chatting with um, Dr. Aruna. Hey, Aruna! Hi! Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, I'm so excited to um, hang out and chat with you tonight. Um, and you are hanging in the Northern Territory. I am, yeah. I came up here in April and I worked three months at Royal Darwin and I've just started working for Care Flight up here, which is a transition. It's a set of skills that I've got to learn from scratch because it's, yeah, it's medicine without my toys and my recess day. <laughs> <laughs> Which is cool. Um, we've got to congratulate you, first of all, because recently you sat a really important exam um, <laughs> and you passed. Woo! I did, yeah, that was the fellowship exam, the yes. um, eighth and fellowship exam. And I got through it. So 
in four months' time, I get a few extra letters behind my name and, and it makes it all worth it, I think. And in four months, you'll be wearing black scrubs. Woohoo! That's the, that's the hope. That's the plan. Awesome, mate. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's really important and I want to say congratulations as well because I think that's a lot of hard work that you put in to get that. Thank you. Um, so we we um, congratulate you for sure. Now, um, the reason why we've got you um, on here tonight is to talk about resuscitation um, and how to how how you run a resuscitation. Yeah, um, I think we've done a few together then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Over the last sort of year and a half, we've definitely been a few curly ones, I think, together. Yeah. Um, which we'll talk about tonight. Um, and obviously, like putting it out there. This is not the only way to run a resus. There are so many different ways to run it, um, but this is from your perspective and I really want to get you on here because I've seen you run multiple resuscitations from the elderly to the very, very, very young. Um, yeah. And I've liked the way you've done it um, and I'm sure other people have as well. Um, and so, yeah, so you're an ED um, doctor, fellow, finishing your exams. Um, what yeah. drew you to emergency, if you don't mind me asking, first of all? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think there are two important parts. Um, the first is I really liked the idea that I would continue seeing patients myself on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and you don't sort of progress through emergency and then end up in a clinic with a registrar looking at your patients <laughs> and saying a message to you. You get to go and see the patients. You get to go see them when they're at their worst and when they're critical. And, and you don't sort of step further away from the patient, which I think a lot of other disciplines do. Mm. Um, and I think what I really like is that horizontal hierarchy that we have yeah. in emergency as well. Um, everyone refers to everyone by their first name. Yeah. Um, you sit on the same level as the nursing staff, the intern, the resident. At the end of the day, we're all seeing patients. We're all seeing them from scratch. We don't allocate, you know, someone more junior to do our cannulas and, and things like that. But it's a very horizontal hierarchy. And I think I really liked that I get to continue seeing patients because that's what I like the yeah. most. Seeing someone who's turned up on what they think is the worst day of their lives um, and being able to reassure them and, and sort them out from scratch. Yeah, I love it. I love your, the, the flat hierarchy. I laugh. I can, you know, I'm in like four group chats at the moment and like four of them are like consultants, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. and it's not a, they're just awesome no. people. And I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, you know exactly. I mean? And we all, you know, we work as a team and we all have different roles to reach the same end goal. Yeah. Which is and cool. that's, that's all it is in the emergency department. It's not anything else. We're experts in slightly different things. That's all you and I, Ben. That's true. Um, <laughs> now, one thing also, and one, um, one thing I want to say as well is that we love your smile. Whenever you come into ED, um, you've always got a good smile on your face and, I, and you love interesting cases. Um, me and you have definitely bonded over some interesting pathologies um, and we love, you know, the medicine behind it, ED. Um, I know resus is a funny thing, you know, like how to run a resus. You know, in the past, I remember there being things about like, don't be a resus wanker. And all these yeah. things that were out in the, you know, stratosphere, obviously, um, by the people. Um, but I'd love to bring the Aussie approach to this, which is how to run a resource from you. Um, yeah. So let, let's crack into it. Um, we've got two components, a medical and non-medical part of running a resource. Yeah, yeah so, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting then when we first talked about this topic. Um, 
I realized just how hardwired my approach was. Like it's just what I do. And then I had to sit down and break it out, break it down into its components and work out what makes a resus that I run very obviously a recess that I run because I think <laughs> it can be quite distinctive when I run a recess and I, I think Definitely. yeah it sounds like you you noticed that as well um, and I think breaking it down into its components you have the medical part of it which mm. is obviously what the patients come in with why they're critically unwell and then you have the non-medical part of it um, and if you break that down further I guess another way of phrasing that is the patient and the team mm. looking after the patient yep. um, and I think they both are equally important in a resuscitation environment um, taking care of the patient and and taking care of the team and making sure everyone comes away from a resus happy mm. um, is super important because we all have to go back in there yeah to see another patient 100% and I think we talked about this earlier you can be an amazing clinician you know whether you're a doctor or a nurse um, however, you can run a really bad resource. Um, and we've seen those people and we might've been those people ones that I've just been talking way too much. Uh, and like, yeah. hey, Ben, shut it up. Stop talking. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's really key to, to be aware of that. Um, yeah. which is good. Um, the way you break it down, um, how do you, how does Aruna break it down? Let's go clinical. Let's think of the medicine behind it. How does Aruna sort of break down that resource? Yeah. Um, so when we talk about the clinical side of things, I guess, generally speaking, you can have trauma, mm -hmm. you can have pediatrics, which I sort of put in its own category because you sort of flick into a very different mindset when it's a little person yes. in front of you. Right? <laughs> um, you have the medicine and you have the surgery. And yep. I think it's worth breaking them down into medicine and surgery because again, within each of those categories, yep there are sort of subcategories. So if you look at medicine, there's cardio and there's respiratory and there's sepsis. Um, and then there's metabolic conditions like DKA um, or an Addisonian crisis. Yep. Uh, and then under surgical, you can have a bleed or a perforation uh, or an abscess. Mm. Um, and I think I break them down into those because I have associations with, with words to some extent. When I, see a trauma i think right i do need to make sure i do a primary survey and a secondary survey and if i don't clue onto the fact that this is a trauma it's very easy to miss parts of a secondary survey to not notice you know to not do a log roll and notice something in the back to, yeah yeah so i think i think i having this sort of muscle memory of going trauma we need to make sure we look at them head to toe um or peds Let's make sure we don't forget the glucose. Yeah. <laughs> let's yep. make sure you know. Let's make sure we um, uh, we look at the heart rate and adjust the parameters to to know what's normal and what's not normal. Um, so I think I think for me it's making associations between um, what's come in and what what I think is an important part to not forget from from each of those. Do you declare um, that? Do you declare that out loud? Like, oh, hey, this is a, a trauma resuscitation or this is a pediatric or we have a resuscitation of a, a neonate. Yeah. yeah. I, and I absolutely, I do. Yeah. Um, and I think we've probably done a few together, you and I, where yeah. I've, I've said this is a pediatric patient, so let's not forget glucose. Yeah. This is a pediatric patient and they're getting um, 
slightly bradycardic this yep. in this patient heralds an arrest yes. um you know and and making that known because there is no point you standing at the head of the bed thinking a whole load of things yeah. and no one else in the room knowing what you're thinking yeah 100%. everyone's got something to contribute like if you say out loud this child is starting to get bradycardic and i'm afraid they're going to arrest you have a whole load of very clever nurses who are going to get adrenaline ready Yep. in the right dose <laughs> and yep. if you say this is a pediatric patient let's not forget glucose someone has done that glucose already love it so you're almost mentally offloading the because I, I, I would imagine and I, i've never been in your position at the end of the bed being running the team leading the weight of that must be huge it is and i think it's as huge as you make it okay. for yourself what do you um, mean by that you can stand at the head of the bed and get overwhelmed with the fact that you're the team leader and you need to know it all yeah. and you need to know where this case is going to go but you actually don't you need to make sure that everything runs smoothly and you need to make sure that everyone knows to some extent what's going on so that they can contribute ideas because everyone's got their own experiences you might not have seen whatever cases come in, but mm. someone else has, and they're gonna go, you know what? I saw this a couple of months ago, and this was what that is. So it's, you know, it's easy to feel overwhelmed at the end of the bed, but if you share that mental model, you share yep. um, what's going on, you can draw on everyone's experience and skills and knowledge. Um, and, and it really offloads responsibility from you. I just really loved when Aruna was talking about resuscitation like this, um, that we work together as a team, uh, that we listen to each other. Even this sense of relinquishing control to some point is actually benefiting her resuscitation as well. Um, that there are people in the room who are really experienced, um, who can assist, um, and that running a resource isn't just about how much you know, but it's what you do with what you know and who you use as well. Um, I just found it really awesome. And I've seen this firsthand with Aruna. I've been in multiple resuscitations with her um, and I've seen her use this model and approach and it works. Um, it works when people feel heard. It works when people are called by their name during a resuscitation. It works when people are listened to, when people are given the opportunity to speak up. Uh, yes, there's times in resuscitations where we need to go into beast mode uh, and we draw up medications quickly and we work really fast um, and we you know jump on the chest and do those sort of things but I also think it's important that we work together uh, and that we include everybody um, in that resuscitation uh, and I think almost like that team leading uh, is what I would call leadership and I know we can't like choose our team specifically it's not school where you can choose your footy team but I'll tell you what, I'm I definitely want to be involved in a resource where people are heard like this, um, where people can actually work together um, and where people can contribute ideas for better outcomes of patients. Let, let's talk about preparation because we know that good example 
we're lucky sometimes in ED. And I know that in retrieval, you know, you, you get a phone call, let's just say an arbitrary, you know, a rollover in a car or some sort of trauma mechanism. And you know, they're coming to your, your ED and you're running. Yeah. How do you prepare your team? Like, let's say, yeah. Yeah, how, how does Aruna prepare her team? I always like to sit, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Yep. <laughs> I like it. Um, so a classic example was not long ago up here, I actually had a bat phone that came through from the ambulance service and they said, there's a guy who's coming in. He sustained a massive laceration to his arm after punching through a window. Um, it looks like there's an arterial bleed mm-hmm. um, and we estimate 500 mils of blood loss. And, and you hear something like that. And I, I think, you know what, let's, let's just make sure that we have everything ready because it could be bad. It could be nasty. So, you know, we got down the anesthetist, we got down the intensivist, we got tourniquets out ready to go. Um, We got the O negative blood ready to go. Um, And we thought about all of that. And then this guy (laughs) walks out of the ambulance, walks into recess. He's plastered and he's like, all of you are here for me. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone can stand down now. (laughs) But that's a good thing. Like everyone has thought about what could happen. Everyone has thought about what their roles are going to be in it, if it's bad. And you know what? It's great for the patient that it wasn't that bad. Correct. (laughs) But if it was bad, we were ready. And I think we all, we almost have this sense of like, Oh, like if we call something, can it, we get stand down? Then people go, oh, and they almost walk off. But more than likely, people want to people want to know that something's there. Yeah. I found yeah. they'd rather be called, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think people would much rather be stood down than be called in a crisis that they could have helped avoid. Love it. I like that idea. Yeah, it's so true. Hey, but I think it's worth it's worth being prepared. It's worth um, taking every call seriously and mm. then de-escalating it as needed, particularly when you get a back phone because yeah. you have limited information. They have limited information. Like the poor ambulance officers or the retrieval team or whatever are piecing together information from, you know, whatever's on someone's blanket or whatever's in someone's rubbish bin or like, you know, whatever they've seen around them. It's, yeah, it's not always easy to put together mm. in terms of your preparation um, in terms of delineating roles to your team do you do that yes. based on what's been done previously if they've already worked out a resource team and you flow you're very easy going like you flow with that or you tend to, to be a bit more structured in your algorithm i'm happy to flow with things but yeah. i also for me the important part is knowing that everyone in their roles is comfortable in their roles yeah. i don't want anyone to feel like they're being asked to do something that they're not comfortable with. Yep. Have you had that before where you've had to change something yeah. in way? Absolutely. I had this horrendous case once of a guy who was an out of hospital cardiac arrest. Yep. He came in, one of the nurses on in recess was a new grad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she was just shadowing someone for the day, but decided, or maybe it was a nursing student, someone very junior from the nursing team, who decided to to help out and, mm. and be there, which I think was completely fine. Um, and the patient had multiple cycles of CPR and we didn't get Ross and the patient had died. And we did a, we actually did a hot 
debrief mm. um, in the end. And it absolutely blew my mind because she said at one stage, oh, so the patient would have died anyway. And mm. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The patient came in dead. We couldn't make him yeah. deader. Yeah. We just did whatever we could. And she was convinced that the reason he died was because she didn't prime her line properly. Oh, wow. And so he got a massive air embolus and she made him die. Oh. Wow. Okay. And that's because this poor nurse was in a role that she's not used to and she's not comfortable with. Yes. And I think it's really important that people are comfortable with, with the roles that they're in so that they know that they're doing best for the patient. Mm. They're doing things that, that they've done before. Yep. And I like how you've done that before. I've been in resources where you're saying, you know, arbitrary Ben or someone, are you happy to do CPR on this child or, or are you happy to use, do you feel comfortable with the defib? Like, run me through yeah. what settings you might use. Um, yeah. And I think that's great because people go, I know what I'm doing. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Yeah. It's like a yeah. bit of a well-oiled machine. Um, yeah. And I like And for that. me, part of that role allocation is for me to learn names if there's someone new in the resource bay to know who they are what their name is what their experience is because when you're at the head of the bed and you're asking for things to be done Mm. if you don't know someone's name and you say something along the lines of can someone draw up adrenaline who's that message going to you can't the best way to close the loop in your communication is to know a patient's name and go hey ben can you draw up adrenaline? Yep. Because if you say, can someone draw up adrenaline? Everyone's doing something already. And everyone's going to assume that someone else has acknowledged that and is doing that. Correct. Or 10 people leave the task they were meant to do and go and draw the yeah. adrenaline up. And you wonder yeah, why three people standing next to you drawing up adrenaline. <laughs> Aren't you on the defense? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. What the hell? Exactly right. Did your approach come by something you listened to, someone you watched, some word that was spoken by someone more senior than you, or has it come by trial and error? Um, I think probably a combination of everything, actually. I think it's probably a combination of things. I think the more you do something, the better you are at it. And I think that's why this was quite interesting because I mentioned at the start that so much of this is hardwired into me now because I've run quite a few resources. And breaking it down into its parts um, was really important because because it's become muscle memory, it's become a habit now. Mm. And it has become a habit just by doing it lots, by Mm. seeing lots of other people do it and adding things to my um, arsenal, as it were. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? That you can actually learn from someone else. Yeah, absolutely. Observing. And I, I even love when sometimes a consultant will come in and go, I'm here just to do the airway. I'm not doing anything else. Like, yeah. you know, cause I, I'm not being rude. I've sometimes seen, sometimes the, mo- the most senior people in a resource can sometimes be, it can be overbearing. There's too many smart brains in here. I yeah. need someone just to push a button and shock the patient. I don't want, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it yeah. sounds really silly. I'm not saying that I'm diminishing the role, but I'm also yeah. saying that, that you've got to stay in your, in your lane. And actually I know of institutions where, um, Say, for example, on, on the ward, there's a code blue. Uh, I think in a lot of the hospitals in Australia, it's assumed that ICU turn up, the med reg turn up, ICU leave the resa, um, and the med reg sort of goes off and calls the 
but I don't necessarily think that's the case. In fact, I think you can put your resident in charge of the research mm. because all you need is someone to keep things going. Yes. And sometimes having someone just perform the ALS algorithm yep. as an algorithm while the people with lots of brains think through yeah. the complex stuff, like that's going to do the best thing for the patient. That's true. You've raised the point here. Um, is it about saving the patient? Is running a resource about saving the patient? Um, yes and no. That's a good question. I think in sort of going down that, that path, I think about what I consider a good resource. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people would assume that it's saving life, and I don't think that, that it is. I think getting Ross or saving a life is not always the best outcome for a patient. Yeah. Um, there's lots of issues around having a long hypoxic brain time. There's a lot of morbidity associated um, with the recovery process following mm. a resuscitation. Um, and it's not always, and sometimes living is not the natural outcome for the patient as well. So I don't think it is necessarily saving life. I don't think it, I think it's about doing what you can yeah. um, that's in the best interest of the patient. I like that. Yeah, I'm actually gonna to talk to someone soon about when to stop a resource, which I might add, yeah. I might add that question in. I think for me, and I know this is a lot of teamwork, sort of fluffy stuff, and it, it doesn't always resonate with everyone. But for me, a good resus is one where everyone on the team feels that they were part of a process where they got to contribute mm. and they got to do the best that they could to deliver care, whatever that was, to the patient. Whether it's a brief trial of reversing causes, whether it's a full-blown prolonged resus, whether the patient lived or died, it's where everyone feels that they did the best they could. They were felt, they were heard, they were understood, and all contributions were were important. I think to me, how, that's... Do, you, how do you get to that point, Aruna? And how do you find <laughs> out what your team felt during a resource? How do you do it? I think it's talking to them. Okay, cool. So, there are a few. There are a few things I mentioned using names. I yep. think knowing everyone's names, knowing their role, knowing their experiences, super important. Mm. Um, they talk about closing the loop. When you allocate someone a role and you know their name and you know their level of experience, they respond mm. back to you. Um, when you use names, people feel included. Yeah. And it's important that they feel included. Um, and I will sometimes go around particularly if it's been a prolonged recess and i'll say my thoughts are that we've run out of options here i can't think of anything else can anyone else think of anything then can you think of anything is there anything that i've missed you know and and it's worth going around the room and and acknowledging that everyone has something to contribute so i think that's really really important um and i think talking ultimately communication is what what all of this is and and it's talking to people during the resuscitation uh, and after the resuscitation to find out how they felt 
about how it all went? Did they feel like they were heard? Did they feel like they were included? What, what else did they think they had to contribute that they couldn't contribute at the time? And that's more like, like that's in your debriefing at the end of the resuscitation? Or even during at times? Yeah, even during. Yeah. Even during sometimes. I think, like, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to stop from time to time and say, am I missing anything? Mm. And this is where, you know, people talk about recapping through resources. Yep. Um, and recapping is a really good stage to fit that in. You yeah. go, guys, let's recap. This is where we're at. Airway, this. Breathing, this. You go through your ATE and then you go, does anyone else have any other thoughts of things that we've missed, things that we should do? Yeah. I love um, it. What do you do with a difficult personality, Aruna? There's always, <laughs> not being rude. We always work in, in medicine and nursing and there's always there's yeah. got to be one. Um, how do you deal with that difficult person in a resource? I recently, actually as part of my orientation recently, um, one of the consultants that talked to us said, if you have someone who is difficult, yeah. give them a job. Okay. <laughs> yep. Busy them. It focus, yeah, busy them. It yep. gives them a task to focus on that they can do and it, it sort of diffuses that tension because there's no constant arguing. Yep. And I think, I think that's probably what I would do, yeah. I think. I also think sometimes it's worth stopping and listening and saying, I see that you're not feeling great about this. What's yeah. going on in your mind? Like, what is... What are your thoughts? Is there something that you think we're missing? Yeah. Because tension is often a result of unheard thoughts and unheard voices. Yeah, and right. if you give people a chance to voice their concerns, you often find a way out. Because yeah. if you know what's concerning, then you can give them a response for why you haven't gone down the certain path that they want you to go down. Mm. What, what do you do, Aruna, when you, when you want your resource to run down your algorithm and you, 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 and then you get resource stations beautiful and also it can be frustrating because you can think you've got it sorted and then within a moment of time you can be like reminded, oh, I'm, this is not in control anymore. What, what do you do in those roadblocks or something comes up and you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that? Um, I think I recap. Okay, cool. I think I I think that's my strategy. If if anything just feels not quite right, yep. I recap because it reminds me of my priorities mm. and it allows me to put this new event or new change into the context of, of that A to E framework and, and decide how important it is that I address it now versus address it in five minutes versus not address it at all. So I think recapping is probably my key. And I think maybe some people think I recap too much, but <laughs> yeah, and, and, um, yeah there's always but I think it's really important. Yeah, okay. Um, do, do you include family in a resuscitation? If you don't mind me asking. Have you yes included and, family ever in a resuscitation? Yeah. Yes and no. I think I think you have to balance it. If you're gonna have a family in a resuscitation, you have to have someone who can spend time with them, whether that's a social worker, a senior nurse, um, a senior doctor mm. who can 
explain to them what is going on because a lot of what we do looks horrific. CPR is not a dignified no. procedure. No. You know, it, yeah. it looks horrific. It looks terrifying. It looks incredibly mm-hmm. painful. Um, having four people trying to stick lines into people looks painful. And then when those four people fell at lines, taking a drill yeah. and drilling <laughs> your bone oh, no. <laughs> looks even worse. And, and you need someone to be with the family saying, this is what's going on. This is why we're doing it. Mm. They're not feeling pain because they've had the following pain relief on board. They're not feeling pain because they're currently not alive. Their heart's not beating. Mm. Um, Or, you know, this is where we are. This is, you know, in in the resuscitation pathway, this is what the next natural steps are. Um, And it can be very valuable because Mm. it can prepare people if, if CPR is futile, watching mm. that happen for 20, 30 minutes can prepare them to eventually go, you know what, they have been doing this for a long time with no signs of anything. Um, and I think it, it can also show families that we are trying our best. Mm. It's hard to know whether people have pulled out all stops when you're sitting in another room, but if you see them there, getting access, doing CPR, shocking a patient, you know, giving them potassium, calcium, yeah. everything through the drip, you know that everyone is trying their best. So I think, I think it can be really, really valuable. At the same time, people, people vary and it's not for mm. everyone. There yeah. are people who will get very distressed watching all of it. Yeah. Um, and you've got to consider whether that person has it within their skill set to then cope with potentially having seen all of this happen down the track yeah. because the patient might not have survived or the patient might have survived, but the image of us doing CPR sticks with people. Mm. You talk to people even who've seen an, an ambulance officer doing CPR on the side of the road, they, they remember that thought vividly. Mm, it's so true hey we don't realize the impact it has on, on no people. it's hard we, we're used to seeing it mm, do we do we become not cold but do we become a little bit sometimes complacent with it do you think i think we can yeah. i don't think we necessarily do uh, yeah um but i think we can um and i've always told myself that the day i I know I'm a, a bit of a sook, but I, mm. I tend to leave most resources feeling a bit of a lump in my throat and just my eyes well up a little bit. Um, and I think I've, I've told myself a few times that when I don't have that response, um, I need to recheck and see yeah. whether this has become too routine for me, whether I've burnt out, whether, um, yeah, whether, whether it's just something that I'm now used to because I don't want it to be something that no. I used to, you know, no. I want it to be something that, that always probably affects me a little bit, you mm. know, enough that I, I recognize that there's another person on that bed. It's not just a, a unknown, unknown 76 yeah. year old male out of hospital cardiac arrest, you know? No, it's great. I actually love what you've said then. Cause I think it can be like that. You run the gas. It's unknown, unknown. Oh, did you see the, you know, and it just becomes this, monotonous algorithm that we follow and then we realize hey that's someone's mum or dad or brother or sister or child 
Um, we have yeah. to have a human contact or connection to that. And we're allowed to feel upset about that. I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's where debriefs come in. Um, and, and that can be a topic of its own. And I don't think I'm in any way an expert at it, but I have been in a number of resuscitations now where I have run or been a part of hot debriefs. And, and I think it, it allows people to feel um, what they want to feel, I think. Yeah. I think I also loved what you said, how it's not a good resource if the person running it feels like they've done an amazing job, but everyone else on the team doesn't feel like they've contributed. Totally. totally. I agree. I think, I think it's, yeah, absolutely. It's not a good resource if I, as the team leader, walk away going, yeah, I did everything I could. The patient got rusk, you know, we sent them to cath lab. They yeah. got there, but everyone else is like, what went on there? I don't know what was going on at any stage. Like people have such different perspectives of exactly the same event. And I often think it would be really interesting mm. to um, do a recess and then get everyone to write down sequentially what happened in yeah, that recess. I, I think it would be very different. hundred percent. I think some people would find certain parts went really slowly and certain parts went really fast and others would think the complete opposite. And I think where we, I think all our sequences of events will be different as well because everyone experiences a recess completely differently. You tune in to different parts that are relevant to you, that are not relevant to you. Um, and so it's, if you think a recess was good, that doesn't mean everyone else thinks it is. And if you think a recess was great and everyone else doesn't think recess was great, that is not a good recess. That's so true. I love it. And it's true because you do get fixated on a task. If something goes wrong, you can just be focusing on the vent or focusing on like the patient, a, a chest drain, focusing on something else, you know, running your defib or drawing up, if it's a pediatric patient, drawing up all your drugs. You didn't hear anything that was mentioned before. And yeah, you're coming... so much concentration. I mean, I'm not great at maths. No. <laughs> which means I can never, ever be a recess nurse. Yeah. <laughs> I need a calculator. <laughs> I'll get through it. <laughs> yeah, I just, you know, the concentration it takes when you're at that drugs bench to put everything together. I'm not surprised you turn around and have no idea what's going on behind you. Yeah, yeah 100%. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned before about the mental load because, you know, I've, I've read a thing about, you know, it was weird. Like, uh, I was looking at, um, ECGs, you know, can staffies or registrars getting signed with ECGs uh, and then just yeah. the mental load on the decision-making process that they've got to make every shift. Can your bandwidth ever be just maxed absolutely. on running a resource? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why um, there's a big move to change the culture of medicine. Um, and I think ED does a really good job of it, yeah. um, making sure that people have the chance to take a break. Yep. Because you can get completely overwhelmed. I think I read something recently that said the average ED senior, so whether that's the senior reg yep. on night consultant on the day, gets interrupted every seven minutes. Bloody hell. Our shifts are 10 hours. That's 85 times. <laughs> I did a calculation because I actually did a lecture this morning for some medical students up here yeah. um, on cardiac dysrhythmias. 
Um, and I was talking to them about my approach to ECGs and how my approach is to just be sequential every time. Always write your rate. Your, and it's because <laughs> sometimes this is the 60th ECG I signed for the day. And I don't know what's going on. But if I write down all the little bits, <laughs> whoever does go to see them will see all the random bits I've written, add it up, put it in the context of the patient and, and make hmm. that patient better <laughs> like, or, or send the patient in the right direction. And that in itself is sharing that mental load because we're not like, we're great, but we're not that great. <laughs> we're not invincible. We all get tired. Um, you might not feel tired, but, but after several hours of shift, you are. Um, and there's no point powering through. You're not doing yourself any favors. You're not doing your patients any favors. Yep. Um, take a break, unload some of it, find a way to do that in five minutes, in 15 minutes and in 30 minutes. I have, um, Love it. very much got strategies to, to match the time frame that I have available to me. I have like a very quick five minute decompress strategy. I have a 15 minute decompress strategy and I have a full 30 minute decompress strategy, which involves large amounts of chocolate. Um, <laughs> <Join the club. laughs> because you don't know how much time you're going to get, but mm. you need to know what works for you to unload. What what about Aruna when it's not your day? Like you know, like you, you go to you know, like you go to cannulate and you're like, boom, how did I miss that? Boom, how did I miss that? What is wrong with these things today? Or my brain turns to mush. Um, yeah. You, I guess how do you approach that that when you feel it's not going? I loved how you said share the mental model with people. Yeah. Have you? So you're right. And sometimes you have just days where everything you do is terrible. <laughs> you miss things. You miss cannulas, you miss diagnoses, you yep. completely don't add stuff up. You know, the patient who came in with something that's super obvious that someone else was just like, are you sure that's not a PE? And you're like, oh, I didn't even think of a PE. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but I've sub-diagnosed my other 12 patients with a PE. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's important to acknowledge that we have those days. Yep. And I think let the days happen. Yeah, cool. Leave the days behind. Love you. Don't let them affect the next day. Don't let them affect the next person you see. I know it's really hard to, to leave things behind, but, but find a way to do it. I actually remember, and I don't, I don't do this, but I remember a strategy that my mum used to tell me because um, I'm a fairly motivated person. I hold on to things a bit yeah. she used to when i when she could tell that i was frustrated and she didn't even need to know what it was with she used to tell me to write it down mm. on paper and i would and i'd bring bring it to her and she goes right i don't really want to read it crush it up tear it into tiny pieces destroy it and i'd do that and she would take me to the toilet she would throw it into the toilet bowl and she would flush it wow she's not medical no, but she knows that everyone has shit days. <laughs> yeah, completely. And she knows that we need to just let those feelings out and let them go. And and it's really really important too because if you don't, you just build on that tension and you build on that anxiety and you build on that feeling of failure, and you're setting yourself up for even more failure because you're going to doubt everything that you do. 
no you just need to yeah you need to find a way that works for you to let it go mm, i love it mm. and i guess something being... that song and frozen that plays non-stop in peas <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say something about that oh my god <laughs> It's on so change it constantly. Yeah. <laughs> really, but a personal question: Are you kind to yourself as a as a senior emergency physician moving? You know, you're you're yeah. pretty much a staff specialist. Are you kind to yourself? Yeah, okay. Close. Um, you got you know six six months or four months, and then you're on. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yes and no. Yes and no. I have times where I'm really good at taking care of myself and then I go through periods that are just rough and I am horrible to myself. Um, And I can't admit to having the strategy down pat. I can't admit to being good at it. Um, But I do start to identify when I'm being really harsh on myself and I try and think about what I can do to change it. I like it. Yeah. We're all human. Yeah. Hey, and I think yeah, you know, you're right. There's a lot of, um, you know, literature about communication in a resource and all of those things, yeah. which are really helpful. Um, but it is important to add a human layer to it that we are human. And there's days when we come in and we just, we might feel down for some reason. We don't yeah. know why. Um, and then we're expected to work with it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, We've got to fire on all every cylinder that we've got and use every brain power. Um, yeah. I love the mental model of sharing our mental model. Um, yeah. I think a load, a load shared is, is much better than carrying it yourself. I, I think it's great. Um, you talked about uh, allowing an environment where people feel comfortable um, because that's what you want them to feel. I think yeah. that's really cool. I think it's really important. We, we do this every day or we do it 80 hours a fortnight sometimes more Mm. um we're gonna we're gonna have to step back into recess we're gonna have to see another sick patient i think it's really important that we leave every recess trying our best to feel good about it or to find the the positive in it so that when we come back the next time we continue to strive Mm. for the best cool over and over again and you, you don't keep running yourself down that way. No. What do you say to comments when people say, you know, some people say, you're only as good as your last resource. You know, it's, just, oh, it's, sort, of, God. it's sort of like a bit of a like, you know, it's a bit of a oh, like, what if it's an aviation thing? Yeah. Because you know what? This is the thing. Like, there's people that say this. I hate it. There's people that look like they've got this shit together. Yeah. There's people that, you know, like, there are so many people that I looked at and I'm like, how are you? running a triathlon, running an amazing recess, like yep. you look great every day. <laughs> and, like, and I sometimes don't know what I'm doing in five minutes, yeah. you know, like yep. how, but, but the truth is nobody has their shit together. Yeah. Cool. Nobody does. I love it. Everybody has somewhere that things, you know, whether, whether, cogs don't spin that well where, mm. where things start to fall apart. And we might not always see it. So to us, they might look like they're perfectly put together, but you don't know what's happening for them at home. Nobody is perfect. Everybody has a weak side to them and everybody um, 
yeah and even people who have this shit together don't always have their shit together yeah that's true um i actually think it's quite um it's become quite a topical thing recently uh, with you know simone biles and yes. and the gymnastics and she yes. comes across as someone who very much has her shit together yes. um and then recently pulled out yep. because she just had a bit of a mental health crisis and and i think that's a clear example that she comes across as having everything put together but she has her bad days as well correct that's so true and she's got a million critics who sit at home <laughs> drinking their soft drink eating yeah. that chocolate yeah. you know saying what she should have done yet they're not yeah, they're not her the training like, the hard work no no yeah. i think that's yeah. good. i think if you're commenting on simone biles or someone mm. else who seems to have this shit together while you have leftover doritos crumbs on your top <laughs> <laughs> sorry i love it i love it <laughs> and to be honest and, and maybe this is a little bit topical as well. Um, recently I was next to a patient uh, and a female physician went to examine the patient. Okay. Uh, yeah. And the patient said to me, oh, I think it was fun scrub day. So you're wearing a different to color top, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. doctor. I said, no. No, I said, no, I'm actually the nurse looking after you. Um, this is a, this is, um, she introduced herself as being the doctor. And the, yeah. the patient was so condescending and said, oh, good on you, darling. To, oh to, my God. To the, and, and, you found my bug there. Yeah, I, I just wanted to say, and I, I, we haven't talked about this actually between me and you, and you know, being for me in it, and I, I hadn't noticed it to be to be perfectly honest with you before. Mm -hmm. And what are your thoughts on that? As being if you, yeah, I just want to ask because I know that when we talk about mental health, female doctors are at a high risk of mental health in relation to yeah. suicide as well. It. Um, it's something that drives me bonkers, actually. It's something that I think if you ask <laughs> a few of my good girlfriends, they'll, they'll tell you that I can wax lyrical about this. I've like, <laughs> so many cases um, of patients who I've picked up. I have taken a history, done an exam, taken some blood, sent them off, written a discharge summary, um, talked to them about what's wrong with them, given them the diagnosis, a plan, and and I have actually had them, as we're walking to the door, going, oh, so don't I need to see a doctor? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think there was one particular day where I was really frustrated mm. um, because it had compounded. Um, like, I had so many patients like that. Um, and when they said, oh, don't I need to see a doctor i just said oh no <laughs> <laughs> i really hope that there wasn't a patient complaint about it. Mm. <laughs> but it is a bug there i think mm. i think there are a remarkable number of people who um still seem to live in the middle ages like yeah, <laughs> they like, forget like yeah they they forget that we're in the 21st century where where women do everything that men do rule the world man in my personal opinion my daughter's got my daughter's <laughs> there got are more of us. yeah come on they got numbers. yeah no but but you know i think it's doesn't matter you know it, it shouldn't matter 
what gender you are. It should just mm. that is on the person that you are and, and your heart behind why you do it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that was interesting. Yeah. And I, and I would, I always introduce myself to patients the same way. I say, hi, my name's Rune. I'm one of the doctors on today. Yep. Um, and I would say most people miss the fact that I'm a doctor. Mm. Even though actually up here at RDH, um, we have scrubs that have doctor written <laughs> on the back in bright yeah. yellow. <laughs> just gonna see that. Yeah. How yeah, does it yeah. make you feel? Not to be honest with you, how does it make you feel? Like I think it frustrates me. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, it does frustrate okay. me. Um and I think it frustrates me because I put everything into what I do. Oh like 100%. I you know, I feel like I give my all to every shift to every patient that I see and to not in any way be acknowledged um is frustrating mm. and i think that's that's really important i think part of being well is um being acknowledged and appreciated we're gonna have to pause you too pause. sir hello good how are you yeah Okay. All good. I'll be there in, um, is 20, 30 minutes. Okay. Or a bit sooner. Yeah. Perfect. Lovely. I won't be long. Thanks. Bye. Sorry. Retrieval. Yeah. You're going to get a good job. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go right. in to be the next person to hopefully get a good job. I love everything about this. Like I don't often wake up for a day of work and don't feel like, doing it no i like i think i could probably count on one hand how many times i've woken up had to go to shift and gone <laughs> um no. yeah generally i'm i'm excited we have no idea what's going to come in yep. that's the best part about emergency it's so good it could be a four toe it could be like it a massive massive or yeah, it could be massive. Massive. like you have no idea your day can turn around in any direction, any time. Like, like it might start terrible and end well. It might start well and end terrible. <laughs> Who knows? Everyone needs to be part of the resuscitation. And if, if someone, yeah. if the team leader walks out feeling they've got it sorted, but no one else does, that's the real key. Yeah, I think so. Because we all come back. We all have to do this job um, again. We all have the next patient to resuscitate. And... Yeah. And it's important that we know that what we're doing is fulfilling to the patient and to us. I think what was super interesting on this was, you know, Runa got this phone call and then automatically um, she drops everything um, and she's going to respond. Um, and that Runa treats her job um, seriously and that she really does care about her patients um, in, in relation to resuscitation. She wants to run a good resuscitation, not only for the patient and the families, but also for her colleagues, because she's going to have to come back and work with them again. I think that's really awesome. Um, I thought it was really raw hearing her answer the phone call. And she's like, hey, um, you know, it's like nine o'clock at night. And I was like, hey, I'm going to go and do a you know, night shift um, just because she's there to help her colleagues. And because she loves it, she enjoys it. She goes to work and wants to make a difference. It's a hard work. Um, she studied for many, many years and still studies to remain up to date. Um, off air, she was talking to me about, um, you know, possible patients' pathologies that she could be going to. 
um, and I thought that was really awesome just just to hear her brain um, even before she's even turned up to the job mentally preparing herself to get there um, the take-home points for me were definitely know your team know everyone by name um, that mentally offload make sure everyone is aware of your shared goals for the patient uh, make sure that everybody is heard um, so that we can work together cohesively um, to not be resource wankers. You can also follow me, um, edjam underscore podcast, on Instagram as well. Um, and thank you to everyone who does listen. Remember that any advice on the edjam should not be taken over your local medical practitioner. Um, thank you, everybody, and have a good day. Bye. Hey, smile, yeah. <laughs> I'll get a photo while you're here.